0: That was a taste of heaven, I think, right? Uh, In heaven, we'll all have the gift of interpretation, which is so good. Um, But in the meantime, what a great gift. We're in this series called Closer Than You Think, and it's focused on connecting with God, largely through cultivating a life of prayer. Sometimes that looks like praying together, and so I want to just give you a heads up. We're going to have a small prayer gathering here, uh, not this Wednesday. We're having our lecture on Wednesday. On the next Wednesday, we're going to have a prayer meeting prayer gathering from 7 and on, and I'm going to encourage you to come. We'll worship, and we'll pray, and we'll listen to Jesus. It's going to be good. So that's next week Wednesday. Our theme this morning is hearing God, and Angel and I had a funny but wonderful experience yesterday. Uh, Actually, it goes back a couple of weeks ago when I was going to be doing Namal's service, uh, graveside service, and uh, I normally dress up and wear my suit and my shoes, and I go to my closet, and my shoes were missing. My dress shoes were gone, and uh, I was thinking it would look awkward to wear a suit and sandals, right? I, I thought that would be kind of weird. Um, and so I searched, and for days, I, actually, this was about a week before, I, I searched through our whole home, and um, I no sign of them. And so I blamed my boys, because they borrow my things, and both my boys claimed innocence. And uh, the search continued, and Angel and I were driving one day, and we said, well, why don't we pray? And we, as we're driving, we pray. We said, Lord, where are those shoes? And uh, after we prayed, Angel says, didn't you wear them when you were Santa at the food bank Christmas gathering last December? I said, yes, I did. And I said, I know where they are. And they were in my Christ- our Christmas decor supplies box. And actually, we we asked Jesus about this, and I forgot about it, and I got... Like yesterday, I woke up again and realized, I need my shoes. And I'm like, where? I think they're in the Christmas box. And sure enough, that's exactly where they were with my Santa beard and red suit. And some of you are just distracted by this pastor dressed up as Santa. Come on. Um, God speaks. And And I have a growing conviction about our life of faith. That perhaps the most important thing we need to do as people of faith is learn how to hear God. All throughout Scripture, there is this repeated invitation to listen. <laughs> the, the biggest sort of, uh, uh, other than injustice, the biggest uh, thing that God levies against people is that they would not listen. And then Jesus seems to think that listening is kind of significant. That said, someone some wonder whether it's even possible to hear God, Uh, Others think it's reserved for pastors or pastors' spouses or leaders or saints. And yet, I don't think Jesus, our God, would invite us to listen as much as he does in scripture if it was impossible for us to do. And Jesus said most clearly, said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and so my convic- if my conviction is correct that hearing God is not reserved for the few, but is one of the most important things that we can learn to do, this is something we're going to need to grapple with and pursue in our lives, and we'll do a little bit of that this morning. Hey, I want to give Tyler Stanton, uh, he's a pastor down in, in Portland, some credit for this talk. I was at a conference there in, uh, when was that, May, and he really inspired me with kind of the framework of this. Our passage, if you have a Bible, is, is Luke 24, 13. And following, and it's an incredible passage where te- Jesus tells us, or pardon me, Luke is telling us that on the weekend Jesus was killed, on the Sunday of that first Easter afternoon, two of Jesus' followers have an encounter with Jesus alive and risen. Crazy, right? So good. Uh, again, I want you to follow along. If you've got your Bible, it's not going to be on the screen. We're just going to dive in here at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, or 11 kilometers, from Jerusalem. Those two are two followers of Jesus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself as they approached the village to which they were going jesus continued on as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly stay with us for it is nearly evening the day is almost over so he went in to stay with them when he was at the table with them he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned once more to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, those disciples, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. May God bless the reading of his word. It's a great story, isn't it? Talk about a fascinating encounter that these two had with Jesus. For most of the story, they don't actually recognize that it's him. There's so much in this text, but I mostly want to focus on <clears throat> excuse me, what I think is the most interesting part of this account. It's in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. And you gotta wonder, what's up with that? I mean, continued on as if he were going further? So, question is Jesus pretending and is he like kind of like acting a part here? He's acting as if he's gonna keep going and maybe baiting them into a dinner invitation or something like that? Or, Was Jesus content to spend a good portion of that first Easter Sunday with a couple of people who wouldn't even recognize who he was? Now, on its own, you could come to either conclusion, but this seems to be a bit of a pattern in Scripture, a bit of of a pattern with God himself. Let's go back to the Old Testament, to 1 Kings chapter 19, well-known story. Elijah the prophet has had this showdown with the prophets of Baal, On Mount Carmel, it's powerful. God comes through and shows up big time, but the king is threatened by this, and the king begins to threaten Elijah's life, and so Elijah is forced to become a fugitive and flee. Some of you know the story. We're told that he flees into the wilderness and eventually to Mount Horeb. Now, it's probably no accident that Elijah went to Mount Horeb. It's the same mountain that that Moses met with God, and received the Ten Commandments. So in all likelihood, Elijah has come to this this mountain to meet with God, desperate to meet with God, and desperate to hear God. And he does. And this is what it says. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now the the, the phrase I'm going to draw your attention to isn't, the one that usually gets the most press. (laughs) How God spoke, how? With a whisper, a gentle whisper. The one we might read over and miss is, the Lord is about to pass by. Same phrase from Luke where it says, Jesus was about to pass by those two on the road. But this gets even more interesting because if you rewind further back in the Bible, you have this encounter of Moses and God on this same mountain in Exodus 33. It says, then the Lord said, there is a place, he's saying this to Moses, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Now this is arguably the, the pinnacle moment of intimacy with God in the whole Old Testament. And there it is again, God passing by. The phrase shows up again in, in Job chapter 9, verse 11. Speaking of God, Job says, when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. That's a, just a quick overview of the Old Testament of God passing by. But let's, let's go back to Jesus, to another story of Jesus going for a walk, this time It's a little more unusual context because he goes for a walk on the water. This is Mark 6, uh, verse 48. We're told he saw the disciples. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. There's the phrase again. Now, this is actually kind of an important event in the New Testament, an important encounter uh, it's recorded by three of the four gospel writers, although they're biographies of Jesus. But get this. This was an encounter that was entirely dependent on the disciples noticing Jesus. It would seem he was willing to walk by them and not be noticed by them. Isn't that something? Take it a little step further, it makes you wonder, how many times did Jesus actually walk on the water, Right? This might not have been the first time, only the first time that he was seen doing it. Now let's bring this back to the road to Emmaus. That morning, Jesus had burst from the tomb, conquering death. The most important moment in the history of the world. And what does he do? He's chosen to be with these two despairing and disappointed and disillusioned disciples. And then verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in Scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus spends all this time, it's probably about a three-hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, he's explaining the Bible and how it points to him, and they don't notice he's him. Again, verse 28, 29. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so we went in to stay with them. This is is so cool. It ought to blow our minds a little bit. It's the evening of the first Easter, and Jesus is giving the first Easter sermon in history. And, And they don't recognize him, but Jesus Again, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. Jesus seemed willing, just like on the stormy sea, to pass them by. John 1, Jesus is called the Word. As Tyler Stanton put it, Jesus, the Word, is the living whisper of God's voice. Listen to what John says in verse 10 of John 1. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You see, God himself passed the world by, and they did not notice him. Tragically, most people missed him. The the fact that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, so identifies with us that we mostly miss him. Now, all of this to say, it would seem to me that God's native language is whisper. It's a whisper. But here's the thing. A whisper is easy to miss and easy to ignore. Which begs the question this morning, what if God is speaking to you way more than you think? What what if the Lord is coming to you in all all kinds of ways, more than you think, and yet it's it's as if the Lord is passing you by? We don't notice, and and so we miss opportunities to be encouraged, to be met in a storm that we're in, to be guided by God, to be given perspective, to be given vision, to to hear for ourselves the voice of love and affirmation from God. Think of those disciples in the storm or those two disciples on the road. Think of what what they could have missed if they hadn't noticed Jesus right there. It leads to another question, actually. Why doesn't God yell? (laughs) Why why does God not shout? If God shouted, surely we would all hear. Maybe. Maybe not. Let me ask you, how do you respond when somebody yells at you? (laughs) I mean, think about that. What's your reaction to it? Um, you might listen to them, but you might not hear them. You know, you might miss what they're saying, right? Uh, funny, years ago, I did a wedding up at SFU, and it was outdoors, and there was no amplification, no microphone, whatever. And the wedding party, the, the, the guests were all on the shore, and myself and the couple were out on this peninsula that was like 50 feet away from the guests. And to be heard by the guests, what I'm saying, the message I'm giving, all this kind of thing, I actually had to shout. Think how fun it is to be shouting about love and marriage at the top of your lungs. (laughs) Not fun. Because in a way, it's hard to yell and not come across angry, right? Yelling tends to have this effect of polarizing us or or alienating us. It tends to push others away. Or it can make a person defensive, right? It tends to shut down relationships or result in, in maybe fear or distance in a relationship. So why does God whisper? I wonder if he whispers because it's intimate. He, he whispers so that he gets what he wants from us, which is a relationship of, of intimacy and trust and love and closeness. Closer than you think, that's the name of our series, because that's what God wants from us. He wants to be close, and He's closer than we think. And so He whispers. You don't whisper from far away, do you? You whisper in your image of this, right? You whisper in someone's ear. You're, you're up close. You can't whisper from a distance. God is not distant. And I think it tells us an awful lot about God that he whispers. I'd say there's so much beauty about God and about how he works in the world because he whispers. Now the trouble with this is this can make listening to God a little complicated. How do we hear his whispers? And how do we specifically discern his voice? How do we know it's him? How can we hear the whispers among all the voices and noise and distractions? And there are distractions, aren't there? And obstacles to listening. I mean, there are in any relationship, as my wife would like to tell me this morning. (laughs) I hear but don't listen very, very often. Uh, I'm not just talking technology or cell phones or intense work life or leisure life or family life. And for sure, part of the journey of learning to hear God is actually dealing with those things and actually setting boundaries around them and and having times where we listen to connect with God, having space for that. But there can kind of be deeper distractions or obstacles to hearing God. And we see this illustrated in our text with Jesus and the disciples on the road. Let me point out just three. First obstacle is our past experience of God speaking. You see in the story there's a fact that like, it seems to be in all the resurrection accounts, or many of them, is Jesus looked different. Somehow the, the glorified, resurrected Jesus didn't look like Jesus, same old Jesus. There's something different about him. And this is part of the reason these two didn't recognize him. And, and I wonder for some of us whether we can kind of get stuck in how we approach hearing God Maybe we've carried ideas around for a long time, ideas of how God speaks or doesn't speak. Maybe we've looked at how we look at how God spoke to us yesterday and we expect him to speak the same way today. We climb our own Mount Horebs with expectations when that preacher comes or at that conference or during that worship experience or or even on a silent retreat or a moment of prayer. And and you know what, I wonder if we miss God, not because he's extraordinary, but because he's ordinary. We're looking for God in the earthquake and the wind and the fire of our lives. What if you could know God not just in the the worship service or in a special three-day retreat, but even throughout every day in the intensity of our work or our play, or even when we're in the valley of suffering or going through difficult things? Pete Gregg, the the founder of 24-7 Prayer Canada, put it this way, or USA International, pardon me, put it this way. He said, if we are ever to feel fully safe and truly loved by the Lord of all the earth, we must eventually, like Elijah on Horeb and that couple on the Emmaus Road, learn to listen for his voice in the anticlimax of life's non-events. Are we open to hearing God in more ordinary ways? Or in ways, or, or, or perhaps new ways that fit this new season that we might be in? I think recognizing God when, when He speaks means adapting our vision so we can see God in this new season. Interesting, our elders had a, a fantastic elders' meeting last month. And. Uh, we were talking about hearing God, and uh, we began to pray, and uh, God broke into that meeting in some really special It was an extraordinary time, um, and, and people began sharing. Our elders began sharing pictures and, and words and things that they had. I, I, I like the one I heard really clearly was somebody pictured like huge fruit and had the sense that we, were, we as a congregation were going to be moving into a season of Fruitfulness in in profound ways. But our sense was, as we were praying, was just that God was going to speak to us and to our congregation in new ways. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, I I believe even this summer, God's going to grow you and He's going to grow me. We're we're actually going to break new spiritual ground. And I think that's going to be in how we hear God is going to be part of that journey. Okay, second obstacle is related our expectations of God. Those those two on the road to Emmaus, it's pretty safe to say that they did not expect a resurrection. (laughs) Zero expectations. Jesus was dead. Crucified people don't rise. Jesus was there passing them by, and they couldn't seem to see him because it didn't fit the storyline that they were very comfortable with. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. God's doing something, but you can't see it because it doesn't fit your expectations. We've maybe held on to an idea of how God works in our lives or works in the world, and we're like, I have an idea of what God should do here. He's not doing it. I I think sometimes we can be deaf to God's whispers because the story he writes is different and doesn't fit with our expectations. I was talking to a hillsider a while back, and they were telling me and sharing with me their health journey and real health uncertainty over these last months or so and challenges and how it's been scary for them and just again a lot of uncertainty And, and you ask the question sometimes when we hear of these kind of things why would God allow suffering someone to one of his beloved children to go through difficulty like that but amazingly as this person shared this journey there was a glint in their eye as they shared how this suffering had drawn them so much closer to Jesus, that God was growing their faith through this trouble. God was speaking louder and more clearly through the challenge they've gone through. I, I have a feeling that if I asked for a show of hands of how God has spoke to you in fresh ways through suffering, I, probably every hand could be raised. When Angel and I were getting, I got to tell you this, uh, God doesn't always lead us on safe paths. God works in mysterious ways and he can redeem all things. He's a master storyteller. And he sees all and he knows all. And he'll take us on journeys that that don't always make sense in the moment. I've shared many times that when Angel and I were getting married, we heard God's clear call to move from Ontario to British Columbia. There was this sense of God wanting us to come, and it made no sense to anybody we talked to. Our pastor, our family, our friends, we had no money. We had no jobs. This is the first days, maybe fragile days of marriage. It didn't feel like that to us, did it, babe? Didn't make sense to anybody, but God, and God's voice for us, I got to tell you honestly, was equal parts enlivening, and terrifying. (laughs) You know that? God's whisper, folks, can call us to a type of obedience or risk that can actually be costly. Sometimes he asks us to say yes to something, and it's going to lead us into some challenge. And it doesn't quite fit our idea of the story. And so our expectations are something that if we want to hear God, we sometimes need to lay those down, being open to what God might say and even open to his leadership, costly though it may be. Obstacle three is a spiritual obstacle. Verse 16 in our story tells us they were kept from recognizing him. So there's obviously something outside of them that was preventing them from seeing. They were blind to Jesus in some way. Some spiritual force was involved in their blindness. And depending on our theology, we might have a different understanding of what that force is. But the point I want to make is how this phrase gets turned around at the other end of the story. Look down to verse 31. We're told, after he broke bread with him at the table, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It would seem that some active force opened their eyes to Jesus. All that reminds us, I think, is to hear God we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who opens our ears and our eyes to hear and to see. Hearing God is a gift, and so learning how to hear God's voice can't just be reduced to some method or technique or checking some boxes of, of what you do in the morning. Hearing God is a grace that's, that's given to us. Well, what does that mean I think it means we can and should ask God to open our eyes. I I, I think we should ask and and press into God, ask him to open our ears. God, you know where I'm blind. You know where I'm stubborn. You know how easy I can miss you or not notice you in my life. You, You know what's keeping me from hearing you clearly. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me hear. Help me see. In fact, at the elders meeting, I was just telling you about, as we were listening together, one of our elders shared this picture. It was a picture of us as a church on a mountainside. And this elder shared how they sensed God saying, you just have to ask and you will see me pass by. He shared that not knowing that I was planning on teaching on this a few weeks down the road. But it tells me that God is inviting this congregation. As we're on the mountainside, we wait, look for God. We just have to ask. Well, for those two on the road, uh, they see Jesus and it changes everything. They immediately turn tail and run back to Jerusalem, brimming with the good news of a story they never would have thought to write carrying the kind of joy that comes when when we encounter the God who always exceeds our expectations. I wonder about the kind of joy that God wants to bring to us as we learn to notice better and to hear better and become hungry and thirsty for his voice. It's a prayer I'm praying for you. It's a prayer I'm praying for me. Lord, make me hungrier for you. Lord, make me thirstier for you. Now just a couple practical thoughts as we wrap up. First, hearing God is going to require discernment. How do we know it's God? How do we know it's not the enemy or our own flesh speaking? Let me point you to one discerning strategy. Psalm 42 describes this kind of connection to God. Just this one verse that I love. Deep calls to deep, it says, in the roar of your waterfalls, God, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is one of the ways we discern the voice of God compared to the voice of the deceiver. Deep calls to deep. And God calls to the the deepest part of you. God calls to those deepest longings in our hearts. But our deceiver appeals to the shadows, the shallows to our shallow hungers, our, our shallow desires. God nourishes our soul, but the deceiver, he massages our egos. Reminded this week of fourth century monk John Cassian. He wrote about becoming a prudent money manager back in the fourth century. In his day, the only currency was Roman coin, and counterfeit coins were common. And so, Money changers had to become familiar with the real thing, that if you dropped a counterfeit coin into their hand, they could tell by the the weight of it, the engraving, the type of metal. They had to, to quickly become familiar with the real thing so they could tell a counterfeit and tell it quickly. This, said Cassian, is one of the primary works of spiritual maturity. Become a prudent money manager, he says, a money changer, Grow so familiar with God's voice that you can tell a counterfeit and tell it quickly. That's discernment. So how do we do that? Surprise, surprise, it takes practice. (laughs) And this morning I just want to offer you one practice for tuning your ears to hear God's whisper. And it's listening prayer. Some of you know listening prayer very well. You're well-practiced in this. But just to tell you briefly what it could look like for you. Every morning, I seek to practice this. Not that you care, but I make a really large mug of coffee, and I go and sit in my favorite chair. This last week or so, I've been, I've been meeting with God on the patio because it's glorious there in the morning. And I sip my coffee, and I set the timer on my watch for 10 minutes. And then I pray a prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And what happens in the next few minutes is, is uh, I, as I try to quiet my soul and have a posture to listen, as I sit there just quietly, not reading anything, not trying to think about anything, what happens, first of all, is all these distractions start coming to my mind. Right? It's like monkeys are up there dancing, I'm sh- I swear. I find myself thinking about things from the day before, conversations I had, I find myself thinking about things in the day ahead, tasks that are on my to do's, and all those kind of things. And usually it takes a few minutes for it's kind of like sediment in water for the sediment to settle. And so it just takes time. And I, I, I've learned to be a little bit more patience, patient with myself because I'll find myself very frustrated with myself. <laughs> but I go through that time and I allow those distractions just to kind of settle. And and, and sometimes in those minutes, nothing really specific comes. I, I don't hear any kind of voice from God or anything. It's often just a sense of God's peace in those moments. Sometimes 10 minutes is up, and I feel like I haven't gotten past the distracted stage, and so I just add another 10 minutes to my time. But sometimes I'll have a memory or a word or a verse or an image, or a picture this morning when i do it did it uh, and just spent that time listening Um, psalm 91 those who dwell in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty that was what i got and uh, i heard from god i heard or sensed him saying come dwell with me derwin You're made for dwelling with me. Like our song we sang earlier, Abide in Him. Dwell in Him. Sometimes it's uh, about my day ahead. Sometimes it's about you. I'll have one of you come to my mind. It's frequent that that happens. I just trust whatever comes is from God. And I write it down in my journal. And when that's done, I open up the scriptures and I do it again. I say, come Holy Spirit. And as I'm reading my daily readings... I look for ways God might be highlighting something again in my life, and then I move on to prayer, and when I pray, my prayer is often informed by what I heard God saying earlier. I say, Lord, I hear you telling me about dwelling with you, and I know I'm not very good at that, and I know I'm so distracted, would you help me abide in you, Lord? I think listening prayer is an important step in our life of prayer. It's this moving from, as John Mark Comer talks about, just talking at God to talking with God. And here's the thing. God is often speaking, but it's not often lightning strikes. It's not thunder and, and loud noise. It's whisper. In the words of Paula Dorsey, she says god often comes to us disguised as our ordinary life what listening prayer is first about is intimacy god wants us to know him listening prayer is intimate because what you're doing is opening yourself up entirely to god you're, you're kind of dropping the fig leaves that that we learn to put on the, the cover-up that happens because of sin and in that space What happens is you open yourself up to God. God opens himself up to you. When I was thinking about listening prayer, I I just realized that there's some of you, again, this is a big deal. You think this kind of experience is reserved for better people than you. Can I say, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think God wants to speak to you wherever you're at, Whatever you've done, whatever your history, whatever you know are your limitations, however bad you think you are at prayer, I I believe God wants to meet you as you (laughs) seek to listen and notice. I believe that. But I do wonder this morning, in what ways is God passing us by? In what way does he want to meet you and me even in this moment?